Okay, listeners, we still still don't have <laughs> intro music. Sorry about that. But welcome back to Everybody's Eats. This is episode two. I'm your host, Dinad Barbarikar, and I'm delighted to be joined by a very jubilant <laughs> Leon fan in Mr. Alex Collins. Alex, how's it going? Uh, it's going very well. Uh, how are you, Nanad? I apologize also. Um, I was the one who was sick. That has led to this part being four or so days late, but hopefully, I think we're a bit better prepared than we were even initially. So hopefully, it'll be a good part. Yeah. I, I definitely agree on that. I think if anything, we are overprepared for this, but I, think, I hope <laughs> the listeners do feel that as they go yeah. on listening. But Alex, what a week for you as a Leon fan. Ryan Shirky is all over the timeline. Leon beating Lance. What's going on? Yeah, I have to say, I mean, that's the most I've enjoyed watching Leon. And I, I don't even know how, how long. It's been ages. Um, and it's fantastic just seeing Ryan Shirky, like, finally getting his credit, you know, and also playing in the role I've always wanted for him, like as that floating sort of 10 behind behind two strikers really works as well. You know, with that like sort of his ability on both feet, he always has that option either way. Um, he's he's the best player to watch from a, from an aesthetic point of view in the world right now. I, I love watching him. It makes me happy to watch. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think this part's supposed to be analytics-y, but I think just... He's very fun to watch. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. Uh, I mean, currently at the time of recording, he is the second best chance creator in the league, just behind uh, Lille's Rami Cabela. And I think if anything, once Shaky picks up more and more minutes by the end of the season, who knows, he could end up being the best creator in the league, which I think is a fair reflection on him and his, uh, his qualities as a player. Yeah, you were speaking about his chance creation. And since coming back from the World Cup, where he's really now come into the team being, being a key starter, he has had two matches where he's created 10 chances in a match versus Strasbourg and Brest, both equaling Di Maria's record of 10 in a Ligue 1 game, 10 chances created. So, so I think that really shows just how good he's been, in my opinion, since the World Cup, or you know, my biased opinion. I think he's been the best player in the league since, since then. And yeah, it's just great to see him getting his flowers, um, really taking teams on, running the, running the game. Yeah. Yeah, no arguments here. Uh, Ryan Shirky rightfully getting his flowers all over the Twitter timeline over the past few days. Yeah, you saw that comp that everyone was talking about. <laughs> and that's just how every game's been. For 24 hours, all of Earth was talking about Ryan Shirky. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, the one team that are not getting their flowers precisely at the moment, uh, Racing Club de Lens, Alex, uh, getting into a bit of uh, inconsistency. Uh, of late, at least as compared to their title rivals in Marseille. Uh, what's what's going? What's happening there? Yeah, I mean, if you look at their recent form, I think they've got one win in their last six games, two losses, three draws in that time. And they've fallen off from being like three points of PSG at the top to now they're sitting in fourth. Uh, Monaco, with their win over PSG on the weekend, have just passed them. Um Kind of a sad thing. I think we're gonna do a deep dive at some point to see what's gone what's gone on there. But mm-hmm. but it does look like they're just struggling to kind of put away chances and maybe their defense a little bit less secure than it was early in the season. Not to say that it's been bad. Yeah, yeah. Well we'll see what how that develops and maybe Frank Hayes can figure out what's going on wrong with them. We'll quickly touch on uh Monaco versus PSG, Alex, next, because that was another big result at the top. Uh another sign of PSG struggling. And and maybe a sort of uh, result of uh, their their sort of method of play under under Christophe Galtier, uh, Monaco beating them three one of course. Uh, some fantastic goals in that game from Wissam Ben Yedda in particular. What's what's happening with with PSG Alex on the pitch at least? What what have you sort of noticed? Yeah, so three one a three one loss against Monaco that on the past weekend, and then also now just yesterday. Was it yesterday or two nights ago? Their their loss against Bayern, and I think both games. It's very very clear how much they're struggling out of possession, and basically, you know, they, you can have the three best players in the world if you want to call them that, um, but if you can't really, you know, direct a press from the front, and that you can't, with neither Messi nor Mbappe have any at, like appetite to press at all. They, and then Neymar's not the best at pressing; he's better than the other two at least. You end up with these sort of like four three block. 
not even like a yeah. four four two. You know what I mean? And it's, it's just real. It's really hard to do anything. You also can't go long to them because who's going to win the ball out of the air there? So you're very, you're very, you become very reliant on the players themselves. And I think Messi's dropped off since since you know winning the World Cup. Neymar's also not quite shining as much. Mbappe's had a little bit of injury stuff. So, so yeah, they're, they're struggling. And I still think they're going to win the league. They're five points at the top right now. But, but yeah, not, not, not particularly impressively so. Yeah, not, not particularly impressive as a whole, the team. But one player who is sort of taking advantage of this sort of grey time in Paris is, of course, Warren Zaire Emery. What a player, Alex. What a player. I mean, I was watching the game against Bayern. He turned Alfonso Davies. And not a lot of players <laughs> can do that. At the age of 16. I think he's the youngest player now to start in a Champions League knockout game. What a player. Nah, he's he's insane. Um, I mean, it's, it's just crazy with PSG often, you know, with all of these academy kids, they've really struggled to make their way in. And they've been like super talented. You can look how Xavi Simmons is doing really well at um, PSV. No, but I think Warren Zayemri is becoming a starter at 16, and rightly so. I think he's really is showing his quality. Um, he's he's kind of this like the ideal type of modern midfielder, that stocky, low to the ground sort of build, but like great burst of acceleration, really good. His first touch and and the direction that he always takes with it, you know, where he brings the ball with him is just incredible. He's also shown he's a goal threat. He scored like basically match winning goals, and he's doing all of this at like 16, which is crazy. It is. It really makes you think about what we are doing here at the age of 24, 25, <laughs> starting a podcast and all. <laughs> to speak about 16-year-olds doing much more than us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's move on from that point quickly. Let's go talk about... Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's talk about Nice. Let's let's talk about Nice next, Alex. They beat Ajaxio over the weekend. They beat them 3-0. Uh, picking up a lot of good form, I think, uh, since Lucien Favre's departure. Uh, what do you think has been the most sort of noticeable things since uh, Favre's left the job. Yeah, they're, they're on like four or five straight wins now, right? Um, yeah. I think, I think I was speaking to a Nice fan about it, uh, Charles Goulon, um, and he was saying one of the big things is that he's not Favre, and he doesn't, I don't even think he means that disrespectfully to Favre, but after losing Galtier in the summer, you know, Nice's, Nice's ownership and like the head of the club can be a bit weird. I think Galtier came in when the club was down, didn't really get on with key players like Delors and Guiri, who are both now have left the club. Um, yeah. I think the squad weren't really that enthusiastic. He struggled to get his ideas across. And I think Degas coming in, really returning to what Galtier was doing with his mid-block um, and similar possession approach. I think it's just, it's that bounce back and maybe like attitudes of the club as well. It, it, it does boil down sometimes to being as simple as that. Um, and obviously they, they are a squad with a lot of quality that, in them. So I think when you kind of get through that and have maybe going back to basics a little bit more, yeah, you do get you do get that sort of improvement which which they're seeing. Definitely, definitely. Knees feeling the effects of uh, Degod's simple methods, I think, on the pitch. Uh, lastly, we'll touch on uh, Toulouse versus Ren. Alex Toulouse beating Ren three uh, one. A bit of a I'd say disappointing, more than disappointing result for for Ren though in the way they conceded those goals at least. Some really quick fire finishes from Toulouse, uh, putting them to putting them to bed. Bruno Genesio's ceiling becoming more apparent, do you think, Alex? <laughs> yeah, we were speaking about this last week. And I feel a bit vindicated. So yeah, I think I think this is what you're gonna get with Genesio. Like we were saying, he's a good man manager at, at times. Um, he can get, you know, a lot of good quality players expressing themselves. But also when there's this lack of tactics, you do you re- you rely on your key players playing really well and when they have dips in form it's a far more volatile you know um result or outcome than when you have a really good structure and your your players aren't playing as well so i think that's that there in terms of ceiling i don't see him being the guy to take ren to the next stage i think they have a very good squad that should be doing better than they are yeah so i think i think at some point they have to bring someone in who who can you know put all of these players in the same team or maybe not put all of them but put a lot of them together and actually have some really good possession system that they play in and yeah definitely i think it's also worth mentioning how well toulouse have done of late winning three of their past four games they've been on a good run of uh, good, good good run of form 
And listeners will be delighted to know that they will be the prime subject of another one of our deep dives in the future. So stay tuned for that. But for today, I think that's our weekly recap done, Alex. Let's talk about the main subject of our podcast today, which is, of course, Stade Durance after this short break. Okay, Alex, let's get right into it. Today's episode, of course, is all about Stade Durance. But before we talk about the club themselves, we'll talk about <laughs> Will Still, who, of course, everybody knows a lot about. He's been in the press. A lot of people are start, start fawning over him, his age, and the fact that, you know, he's started his his interest towards football by playing football manager, which I know you do too, Alex. <laughs> so what was the first club that you managed? Yeah, I at least used to. Um, the first club I managed, to be fair, remembering way back was Arsenal, but I quickly realized I was way too attached to the players like Abu Dhabi getting injured all the time and not wanting to sell him that I think my second save was actually Everton. Um, and I, what I do remember is that I basically bought Ganso and Neymar <laughs> to the club. And I think did really well, to be fair, but also struggled a lot with the club's finances. And that's about as much as I remember that. But when I was cooking, I think I made Champions League um, before getting a budget of like naught. So. <laughs> well, brilliant, brilliant. I think listeners can come back to the sport if uh, Alex Collins makes Arsenal or Everton manager in the next 10 years. And this is where you heard it first, ladies and gentlemen, Alex Collins. Is I'll bankrupt your club, everything. but I will bring some crazy Brazilian kids. So, yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, coming back to coming back to Bill himself, of course, I mentioned this about FM because he did start his career with uh, St. Troyden in the game and even in real life because that's where he sort of got his first steps abroad after leaving Preston North End as, as a youth team coach, moving on to St. Troyden, working at Lies then working at Standard Liège even. So all of these clubs, and I think if for the age of what, he's 30 now? He's for the 30, age of 30. Yeah. yeah, for the age of 30, he's managed to have a lot of a variety in his experience. And do you know what's crazy is you you were telling me this. I didn't even know that that his brother's also a manager, Edward Still, who's like two years older, is, is the head coach of Eupen with his younger brother as well, Nicholas Still, he's 25. So it's obviously it's... obviously not just FM, it's in the family, unless they were all FM crazy. I'm not I'm not exactly sure, but yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, I guess we don't have a way of verifying that. But yeah, it's, 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 insane. it's insane how much they've already overachieved, making the rest of us look like losers uh, in doing so. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's Will Still for you, listeners. Uh, we hope that you've already had a lot of consumption of the press around him so we won't spend too much time on him and let's directly talk about the the club now alex rance yes because we don't have an inside on will still but thankfully you actually do have an inside on the club from getting to speak with their former chief scout you know what this is the worst part though i'm gonna put this on the pod because they deserve to know is that we were looking for some information and i was like why don't you someone suggested enzo javali the former chief scout. I was like, why don't you just ask him and then three hours later, I find out that you actually had a whole like complete like interview discussion with him without even inviting me. So this is why this part of the pod, I will take on the part of host because I wasn't there to listen to it and have you answer. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Listen, it just happened. It just happened. Yeah, these things, yeah. They, I Let's didn't even expect. On. Let's move on. <sighs> it's betray. It's betray. <laughs> All right. So... I mean, you also wrote out questions for Nanad on this piece, so I'm just going to read them. I'm sorry if that's not as organic as maybe, but that's how we're going to do it. All right, so questions for Nanad. So Nanad, you had an extensive chat with Enzo. In terms of the club's recruitment, what did you find most interesting? Yeah, Alex, I think uh, we've already sort of, uh, in our preparation for the board, we've already you know, picked out players that we found quite interesting in their recruitment. And I think what's what's been fascinating for me personally, especially from an outsider's view, is how seriously they took each of the leagues that they were uh, sort of scouting towards and how wide their pool is. I believe uh, Enzo mentioned to me that they were looking at as as far as 50 competitions. So even going as far as the Asian, you know, AFC Champions League, which is the Asian equivalent of the UEFA Champions League, which is quite mental if you think about it, that a club in France is scouting as widely as they are. And Especially not a not a major club either. Like a, a exactly. small club. Well, not small, but exactly. you know, no one in the big one. Exactly, yeah. No, definitely, definitely. I think the, the point of that, especially uh, judging by what Enzo told me, is 
to essentially find value in the markets in markets that nobody's looking at and also going about it in a different uh, in different ways uh, which i think we'll touch on in in your next couple of questions of course but yeah i think <laughs> the recruitment aspect of uh, <laughs> the recruitment aspect of the club is is quite quite fascinating to learn about and especially the processes and the way they think about those players but i'll let you ask me about that and then we can we can touch on those yeah i mean i will say that you definitely do see that that sort of reach they have if you look at guys like marshall minetzi who came from orlando pirates in south africa um yeah in the psl so you know and it's also that sort of confidence to actually go for all you know belief to go and bring those players from those leagues which i think is often something that is lacking just beyond having the reach anyways so Ninad, you've touched on a you've touched a lot on the scope and variety of their recruitment was junior ito the right wing for starterons an example ex- or exception for them yeah i think judging by what enzo told me i think he's more of an exception for them and an opportunity that came through as a pleasant surprise as a process of their of their scouting and looking through various leagues and they felt that at his age his body was still quite fresh because he came into the professional game quite late in his career i think he has his first professional season in the j league was at the age of 22 or 23 even he's 29 right now he's 29 now yeah. exactly so his body is still quite fresh is what enzo told me and his profile in terms of his dribbling his ability to cross and all of those factors which are ex- are an es- essential fit i think for a club like ronce made him a bargain that simply couldn't be missed for them so i think in that sense he was quite uh, quite an exception but the general rule i think in terms of what ronce are looking for is like i said you know looking for value in uh, markets that other clubs are not essentially looking at and looking to sign younger players and always not shying away from trading uh when when it's necessary they can they will easily trade away four to five players and looking for value and they believe in generating sort of profits through player sales than necessarily focusing on the in income that they will generate from finishing higher up in the league so i think they use transfers as a as a primary method of, in that sense yeah and i think you can kind of see the markets that they're very interested or or have deep roots in right i think you get Eredivisie, especially Groningen, and then um, also then in Belgium, where you're going to find out like half the squad comes from, including Ito himself. They've got deep links in like Gent and Genk. Um, that's where a lot of the players. So they obviously do know their, even though they have such an extensive range. Look, going back to Manetsi, for example, um, they do have their their favorite sort of things, as well as I think also bringing players from lower leagues within France. Yeah Alex I agree and another thing I think worth mentioning is also in terms of the recruitment how much of an overlap they've had uh, in terms of the profiles they're looking for and I think I got the feeling from Enzo that they they are looking obviously you know looking for looking for essential value for the club but also having an overlap in terms of their profiles and the profiles that they're looking for with clubs like Lens he told me that you know they were quite sort of neck to neck in terms of players that they Uh, that longs eventually signed it signed you know players like buxa kevin danso matusiwa even matusiwa was someone that longs were really interested in but rans were able to get the deal done much quicker because of their their preference to direct as quickly as possible i think that's that's another thing that enzo mentioned to me is they don't want to necessarily deal with middlemen they want to be as direct in negotiations as possible and get things over the line so in that sense i think that that sort of style has really helped them and with matusiwa in particular alex i think he is an example of the way they recruit because they see a lot of in, they see a lot of similarities i think in terms of groningen in themselves because groningen obviously have a lot of youth focus and matusiwa was obviously a product of that and runs themselves are looking for value in younger players you've we've seen in in the past in the players that they've been able to sell axel desasi brahimi and the list goes on and on even jordan sebacher who's currently at union berlin you know players like that they've been able to it's bring interesting though like that you do speak about them going for young but it's interesting to me that they don't go for like 18 19 they're generally looking at like 21 22 23 is when we were doing our research that was the, that was the age that a lot of these players were joining the club i think matisiwa was 22 for example so it it's a very clear like age range that they're also interested in bringing young players for sure that'll just before they've sort of hit that max value but guys you can come in immediately aside from it though of course abdul hamid the club captain mm. is another 
exception i think that is a value transfer that they saw that they probably couldn't you know give up on so i think it's quite interesting how they are open to both sides of the spectrum in signing players who like you said are in that 21 to 23 bracket but also signing older players who will elevate the the club's floor if you will uh and instantly bring value that cannot be missed yeah and also cuz i know you did research here and i sadly did not can you tell me what can you tell me about the club's history yeah so interestingly enough uh alex uh we of course you know we know about the real madrid's history in the european super cup you know the early 60s and 50s that winning team start the rounds with the first team that they faced in the oh. european cup final yeah so it's, it's it was very interesting for me to find that out they were uh, a heavyweight in france i think in the early in the early years there and then they've had some sort of a yo-yo phase is what uh, junior described it to me as junior's uh, a friend of the pod and a, an ardent marseille fan he described it to me as as a yo-yo phase for the club and uh, but since then you know they've they've been able to lay down a, a good foundation for themselves because of their focus on youth recruitment and youth development and yeah now all of those decisions i think coming out of financial insecurity not financial insecurity but coming out of financial problems and then developing into a a top class club which they are now in league which i think is a credit to them and a credit to their processes as a whole uh, and yeah i think they've slowly made made uh, a good base for themselves to build on for the future and i think we'll see we'll see the fruits of all of those processes in the coming years for sure awesome here was me saying that they're not a big club but actually they're one of the heavyweights quite clearly <laughs> from the, from back in the day okay now that we've sort of spoken a little bit about the club itself alex the club's history obviously uh their recruitment and all of those details it's worth i think mentioning how the team looked under the previous manager before wellstell oscar garcia uh who was there for a season i believe a season or season or two Uh, yeah, he had one yeah. full season before getting sacked earlier this season. Um I think the situation also came into and Oscar Garcia they were always quite um I would say like a stagnant or static or stale side. Uh lots of S's there, but that's how I would I would describe them. And Oscar Garcia sort of has those sort of Barcelona connections links. So you get that sort of tiki-taka idea, beautiful Diego de Possession idea, but that never really translated through into the team there was always these lacks of links between i think building from your you know your first phase into the middle phase with the midfield and then linking the midfield to the attack was always sort of things that struggled so i used to say that they were probably the bluntest attack in ligo at least by my own you know perception especially given that the talent that they had in the attack which i think we're seeing a lot more under wolves still now and yeah he's come into the side and and fixed up a lot of that and i think he's using players in a in a much better way definitely i think we'll touch more on that but i think it's interesting also you know you mentioned about france being the bluntest team i think that sort of reflects in the data because they created i think the second lowest non penalty xg in all of league last season 32.8 and already this season we've seen well still's team beat that and we're not even I think it's just <laughs> over halfway through the season. So quite impressive in that sense. But let's talk about the team themselves now Alex because I think we want to sort of visualize the team for our listeners. Yeah. We want to give them an idea of what a Wilstel team looks like. So we'll start at the back. Yevan Juf, tell me all about him. So yeah, first to say it's a sort of a 4231 433 shape that we'll be moving through. But starting from the back, um with Yevan Juf, He actually just finally came into the side under Wolstel. He's been at the club since 2019, but these are really the first, you know, appearances as a starter as a starter he's been getting. I think he's a bit flappy as a keeper in terms of his shot stopping, etc. But why he's in the side is because of his ability on the ball, which I think kind of immediately gives you a good idea of what Wolstel's trying to do with the side having, you know, a keeper who can really play out the back. Okay so that's Duf Alex what does the what does the back four in front of him look like So I think if we start with the full backs um that's Desmet the left back Thomas Fouquet the right back Desmet's also someone who's just come into the side under Wolstel after being sent out on loan the season before and Fouquet he's been a fixture in the side since arriving from Ghent in 
the Smets also Belgium. We were speaking about how everyone comes from Belgium in the squad. Um, I would say that they're both functionally useful rather than particularly impressive individually. I think they're solid in possession. Um, but I would say along personally, along with Diof, these are probably the three weakest players in the team. But moving to the center backs, that's Yunus Abdul Hamid and Emmanuel Agbadu. Um, Abdul Hamid's 35 now. He's been a stalwart since arriving in 2017-18 season for them, which was their promotion season. He's now the club captain. And then Agbadu just arrived as Vote Faces replacement from Upin, actually. Will Stills Brothers Club. And yeah, I think he's been an incredible sweeper-keeper, centre-back to kind of complement Abdul Hamid's more aggressive front-footed style. And that would be your, your back four. Well, there you go. That was that's the back four. Let's let's touch on let's touch on the midfield, Alex. So that's four at the back. There are two in front of them, I believe, two or three, depending on how you want to look at it. Ezo Matusiva, Marshall Munetsi, and Jens Kajust. Yeah, I think it's presented as more of a double pivot with an attacking midfielder, Jens Kajust, uh, ahead of them. But in reality, I think it's something where it's a six and two eights. The six being the single pivot, Matusiva, and then the eights being Kajust and. Munesi ahead of them. I think what happens in the midfield is quite interesting. We'll speak a bit more about it in the tactics section. But Kajust is ultimately, in terms of profile, but more of a controller. Someone who you can play too deep. Um, whereas Munesi is like a proper box-to-box guy, but also like a huge ball winner for the team. And yep. then I would say Matisi was just that classic single pivot six, right? Very good defensively. Very good at sort of playing out. Um... But yeah, I think midfield is also where we see the most change on a game-to-game basis, depending on what Wilson wants for every game. So other Definitely. guys who you'll often see in there are Dion Lopi. I think he's kind of like a natural replacement for Munetsi going forward. He's still only 21, so quite a bit younger than Munetsi. And, you know, very much a sort of an eight, good defense, can get forward. And then Dumbia, 19-year-old uh, player from Mali. I think he's probably the most natural fit they have for... Um, a number 10 that they actually use, but I'd also, you know, call him more of an 8-10 sort of player. And he often plays in place of produced. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the sort of midfield scenario there. We'll talk about the wingers now, Alex. Alexis Flips and Junior Ito. I think those are the two sort of players that we've seen start more often. What are they like? I think they're both similar players in a number of respects. They're both very efficient and direct with what I like to call like short and sharp technique. Like you can get them the ball in the pockets. They'll quickly react, quickly know what to do with it. I think they're both very intelligent players, both out and in possession. But if I had to kind of differentiate them, I think Ito is more of the goal threat. He likes to get in behind his technical strengths, you know, his ability on the turn on receiving in tight pockets um, and also just his general carrying. Whereas Flips is a bit more of a creator, operates also, you know, in the half space, but a bit deeper a lot of the time. And he's just got really incredible final ball delivery or ball striking, whether it's shooting or trying to play balls in. I think they're both very intelligent players in possession as well. Um, And I think they're both very influential on how the style shapes up for, for France, as we'll get into soon. Definitely. And I think just at the tip of the attack, which of course is the talented father in Balogun. Yeah. Scoring about 15 <laughs> goals now this season. I think everybody knows about him. But yeah. I think the most important thing, the most important thing is that he's Arsenal's striker on loan. I think everyone, beyond that, we don't need to say much more. We'll get into him. But I think, yeah, he's been obviously the main name for, for Ants this season. And... With that, I think we've laid out the team nicely for our listeners, Alex. So 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3. Let's talk a little bit more about their tactics now. And this is where we get into the meat and flesh of, of the team on paper and on the pitch. Let's start out of possession. Uh, wh- what, is it, what does it sort of look like out of possession, Alex? Because we, we talk about the team structure, shape, 4-2-3-1. But out of possession, it's usually a 4-4-2. Yeah, usually a 4-4-2. Um, what I would say is quite interesting about it is who joins Balogun in the front line is situational. So depending on who's man-marking who. So you'll often see Munetsi or Kajust following their man who's dropping in and joining yeah. the front two that way. Um, but you often also see Ito and Flips joining the front two. You even occasionally see Matusiwa joining the front two as he follows in his man. Um, 
another way that sort of situationally determines who is part of the front line is they really like to keep it narrow, keep the pitch halved. So, for example, say Flips is part of the front two with Balogun. If, you know, he's quite far, the plays that way, you'll see, for example, Kajus kind of jump into the front two to keep the play tighter, have one of the front line guys help direct the press and direct the other opposition team into one of the halves. And then Flips will fall back and form part of the, the four behind the front two. Um, other interesting things, I think that kind of already shows you um, it's a hybrid press. They have a lot of tight man-to-man orientation centrally. That's why you get players jumping out to press, following yeah. them in. Um, those are usually Monetsi and Kajust. Matisiwa swaps between being like tight to men or doing more zonal protection, depending on opposition and game states. Um, and then the play, the wide players themselves, they get it tight when it's near side, but the far side player has a dual marking job. Uh, I think one thing I want to say is it's quite interesting that does that they have a sort of asymmetrical um, shape both in and out of possession. And I think it's partly because of what their players are good at. So I think, for example, they really like asymmetrical. They like to push it to the right because I think, I've said I think a lot. Um, They like to push it to the right because Ito is very good at pressing in close situations, trying to win the ball off like that. They've also got Monetsi that side. He's a really good ball winner um, tied to this player. And then on the other side, you've got... Flips, who I think is very good in that more deal-marking role, knowing where to position himself, knowing how to keep the pitch sort of narrowed and halved. It's also worth talking about, you know, how they press high, when, situationally, of course, when they are against a low block. Like, I think that was quite apparent in the first, I think, half an hour against PSG, where they pressed quite high. Murdered kicks them. Especially. <laughs> they essentially murdered them. Yeah, I agree. They did murder them. And we saw Balagun lead the high press, which he usually does. He's quite persistent in terms of chasing after the ball, chasing the centre-backs especially. And then, like you said, you know, funneling the ball towards one side of the pitch and especially the right side where someone like Ito is quite aggressive in his counter-pressing. But I think, yeah, Balogun can be quite good at sort of channeling the ball towards uh, those sides that they do prefer to win the ball back in. And I think the way we discussed him is that he is exceptionally, mind-blowingly electric (laughs) at pressing teams. Well, not him, not him specifically, but but runs in general. Because I wrote that bit, but yeah. So I would say <laughs> that for runs in general, they're they're crazy from goal kick situations. Yeah. Um, they've pretty much caused huge headaches and lots of possession loss for every team that they've come up against that we watched in preparation for the pod. Um, and they're also really good at winning balls when they go long because they've got guys like Munetsi, Agbadun, Abdel Hamido, really good in the air. And then even guys like Matusi were really good at picking up the, the, those second balls, right? So it's just a, it's a huge issue for teams, um, you know, going from goal kick situations because you go short, then you're subject to their high press. Yeah. And if you go long, then you're probably going to lose the ball as well. And considering how many shots Ron set themselves up to get off per match, even the ones that, you know, go out for goal kicks, it's almost you're putting the opposition team in a bad position again because... Uh, cool, it's a goal kick, but now it's a whole other opportunity to attack you quickly for for runs. It's almost as if you don't, as an opposition team against them, you don't want to have a goal kick because just like you know, like we said, they can be truly murderous uh, <laughs> against against goal kicks. But I think Alex, uh, there's also another thing that really sort of stands out about them is how aggressive they are in keeping the pitch narrow with sort of their vertical man-to-man orientations. Like you said, you know how aggressive they are in pushing towards the defense and the midfield line and pushing them deeper and deeper. Why do you think this uh, this sort of stands out about them and what is so interesting? So I think I brought up the asymmetric pressing shape. I think it is partly that. They really know which side they want to push it to. But beyond that, I think it's just, it's that whole idea and like attitude that Wolstel's put in. I mean, it's really yeah. impressive. It almost seems quite chaotic at times, but there's a real structure to it that really impresses me. And yeah, they're, they're very aggressive in just wanting the ball down one side closing you from that side. I think they also do use a lot of like pressing traps or um, where they kind of, I, I like to call it maybe from my sort of more fencing background, coaching background, but pressing of second intention where they they leave clear guys sort of open to make the pass, but then they have, their midfielders very energetic, very good at keeping tight to their men that as they're receiving, suddenly someone like Monetsi can, you know, dispossess the player receiving and then you can go again. And also, I would say maybe also from a rest attacks perspective, Ito's pushing up high there. 
if they lose, you can immediately get the ball in behind for him. Balogun's ready. So it's a nice sort of transitionally ready team as well. Transition ready team as well. Transition ready. Yeah, I think transition <laughs> ready is, is I think, uh, a perfect description of, of their of their approach. But I think once the high press is beaten, Alex, it's also worth talking about how their mid-block looks and how they're very good at recovering their shape and how they're very sort of, I think intuitively, they know when to fall back, when to be aggressive. And so their mid-block is quite interesting in that sense also, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I think it's very impressive is that we are speaking about that chaotic element, but they all kind of know when they're falling back because when they when the high press is beaten, they do they'll have you know one or two players still trying to high press, but others falling back, knowing when to fall back. Um, and then they're very aggressive again, jumping up from their from their mid block. I mean, one thing I would say as well is you'll often see Abdul Hamid following his striker in, and this is a thirty five year old centre back right on the back of his man. Um, as he comes in and they know you know then the fullbacks drop to kind of protect that situation as well um, and then as we were speaking about as well the situational 442 stuff it often with with whoever's following out whoever to kind of join that front too yeah yeah and I think especially with Abdul Hamid I think it's it's amazing how at his age <laughs> obviously how aggressive he is just you know, getting tight to his man and then getting the ball back and in doing so also helping his team progress the ball further up the pitch. It's it's amazing to see him uh, do that and God bless him. You know, his, his, <laughs> legs, are, his legs are carrying him uh, further and further up the pitch. Uh, but against bigger teams, Alex, they're out of possession shape. You know, we've seen the game against PSG, of course. The shape is more, more looking like a 4-5-1, you think? Yeah, so against the bigger teams like PSG, obviously we've got like Messi and Neymar in the middle they did use more of a 4-5-1, 5-4-1 mid-block structure. Depending on Matis Siwa's, you know, which line he was joining, uh, with situational jumps to 4-4-2 again. So when Fabian was dropping, Monetsi was following him out. I think the same with Kajust and Vitinha following him out. And then you kind of had Monetsi protecting zones. And what we saw, I think, in the second half, I think PSG had gone down to 10 men, to be fair. But you saw a very tight man-marking job from Matis when PSG were trying to go through the left on Neymar. And then as soon as yep. the play moved to the right, Matisse released Neymar and locked straight onto Messi. So so I think, yeah, they've they've definitely... There's a lot of like man-to-man, uh, interesting man-to-man stuff that they do in the middle as well as understanding which zones they need to protect. Well, there you go. I think that's... I think we've covered basically everything out of possession stuff for runs. And I... Um, yeah, I think, listeners, if you feel the need to pause and go back and listen again, I, I would highly recommend that you do so because <laughs> me and Alex are going to take a quick break now and take a breather because we've talked about a lot. So stay tuned for the in-possession stuff next. Okay, we're back from the break. Alex, we've now laid out how the team looks out of possession in that 4-4-2 shape. And I think we've generally covered the principles of uh, Will Still team out of possession. In possession now, first phase build up. You know, Johan Duf is a big part of that. So how does it all look like? So yeah, I think if you go from goal kick situations, they play it short. They can be quite patient in moving it horizontally around the back to sort of bait some sort of press. Uh, ultimately, they do use a classic level Piana build-up style, which means that the six drops in to split the centre-backs, the six being Matusiwa, with the full-backs moving higher and wide. Um, the angles that they create... It's quite important, and I think it's also key to kind of know that they, when they do progress, they try to get it through those sort of central passages into the eights or into the wingers, even dropping into the half spaces to receive. And once they've done that, I think they do try to move the ball quickly through the thirds. And I think Aizo Matusiva is, is particularly quite important in that sense, you know, joining in with both of the setbacks and, you know, dropping deep in, at times when necessary. And then order the two centre-backs out of Agbadu and Abdul Hamid. Abdul Hamid is the most sort of aggressive. He will push up forwards. He will carry the ball and try to break break opposition lines and find the find the eights in between the lines. You know, someone like Kayust, for example, or Matsiwa even. And then they will carry the ball further. And I think the objective there, Alex, I think, is to get the ball as quickly as possible towards the opposition goal, resulting in either a shot or, you know, just trying to get get some activity going and occupying the opposition penalty box as quickly as possible. And I think this is, again, quite quite evident, I think, in the underlying numbers and that they are the quickest team, I believe, 
in terms of when you look at direct speed, which is a metric that Opta use to measure sequences of possession. So sequences of possession that start just inside their own half and then progress towards your position goal. So they're the quickest team in league on are progressing the ball at 1.94 meters per second, which is which is quite rapid. And I think we've seen on the pitch as well how how aggressive they are in getting the ball towards the opposition goal in one, two, three passes. It often can be as short as that. So I think it's quite quite impressive how they managed to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the key things here is the personnel that they do use. I mean, like you said, it's, I think Agbaru is someone who usually goes quite direct, quite over the top, which they do go sometimes. Yeah. They're not always trying to play it into the middle third. They do sometimes just go over the top. Whereas, as you were saying, Abdul Hamid is more progressive in terms of trying to break the lines across the ground, um, as well as Matasiwa. But yeah, they get it into the eights, which whether it be, Kayus is maybe a bit more of a controller, but whether it's Lopi, Munetsi, or um, Dumbia, They'll, they'll receive and try to play a line-breaking pass immediately or get it into the pockets, um, into the half spaces to Flips or Ito, I think it's really, who are really key. You know, they've got, like I was speaking about earlier, they've, they've got that short and sharp technique to kind of receive, immediately look to sort of play a ball through in behind to Balagon, who's always, you know, on the shoulder of the last defender. So personnel is really important in how they, they move through so quickly and they are quite... Um, daring and direct with just playing those passes, trying to get the, the ball through and quick as possible. Definitely, Alex. And I think it's worth speculating at this point, and we don't know the answer to this for sure, but is this how an ideal Will Still team plays? and is Or, you know, is this just a case of him recognizing the best use of the players at his disposal? I mean, I think this is such an interesting question because obviously we don't know what an ideal Will Still team plays. Like, unless you've watched, like, Lierso, whoever it was back when he was 24, caretaker manager, you've got a better idea. (laughs) But we won't know that yet. But I do think it's at very least, it is a clear, like, example of him understanding the players that he has at his disposal and knowing how to use them. I mean, even Flips, as someone who also came to the team under Will Still, wasn't really a starter before then. Ito obviously joined the season. Bo- both of them are so good at just being able to accelerate the play. They're both very quick. I was speaking about it earlier, like very quick in, in their heads as well as with their feet. And they just have that ability to accelerate the play. And then Balogun, he's actually playing completely differently to how he did a youth level where I watched a, a fair bit of him, where he was form, you were, what you would call like a rounded forward. He likes to drop, likes to, to move out to the left. I think you can kind of roughly compare him to Matisse Tell, at least in the zones he likes to occupy, if not, so much stylistically but now he's very much like as i was saying on the shoulder trying to get him behind using his runs using that acceleration and then also just using that ability to get shots off from anywhere like you can play a ball over the top he'll take one touch he'll swivel and shoot and i think that's very key to that sort of style that they just try to get the ball down and try to get those shots off um so yeah we'll we'll, we'll have to see you know Walsall maybe when he takes over yeah. west ham like you were speaking about what he actually <laughs> wants to do but Definitely. I think it, it suits those front through as well as obviously guys like Loppy who are who are pretty good at you know trying to play those adventurous balls through. Yeah, hundred percent, Alex. I completely agree with that, and I think the speed of movement is is quite key to how they break down teams. But obviously, that isn't always possible, and there will be there will be times when they come up against deep blocks. Which is where I think their boldness, I think, in, in possession, in, to- in sort of committing numbers forward really comes into play. You see the fullbacks, Dismet and Fouquet, quite high and wide, you know, holding the width uh, to a very good level. And they're quite functional crosses of the ball, nothing out of the ordinary, nothing spectacular about them. But I think they they execute their job and their roles really well in the team. You see Ito and Flips coming into the half spaces and sort of overloading the uh, the defense, the opposition defense, and I think there was a point in in that PSG game where you saw almost six players marauding forward in attack. You know, four players pinning the PSG back four, and then you have Fouquet and the Smet holding the width, which was quite interesting to see. You you will also see at times, I think, how they break down D blocks is by pushing one of the eights forward, whether it be Munetsi or Kamori Dumbia. Even either of those two will sort of push forward. And try to be an option in the box alongside Balogun. And those players will sort of, again, provide options and third-man runs, which are, of course, key to breaking down to breaking down deep blocks. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're great from those situations. You, you'll also, as you were saying, you'll see Ito and Flips come quite narrow. 
Balogun's there. Munesi's arriving yep. late. And we've actually been seeing that a lot more recently against teams like Auxerre and Trois, who maybe, yeah. you know, are recognizing that they're weaker than... Even Lorient, it was happening against Lorient. Where once they Lorient realized did, yeah. that they couldn't press them high, they were they were sitting back a lot more. So yeah, I think that's a, that's becoming a key part of their their approach. And it'll be interesting to see how it sort of evolves. I mean, we have already been seeing recently Balogun is dropping in a bit more in possession. They are holding possession a bit more, using that width, working, working it from side to side. Balogun's dropping in a bit more. Um, and then I think what we've also kind of seen is with Balogun now maybe not being on the on the you know on the shoulders I've been saying the whole <laughs> this whole pod. Um you've got Ito on the right, but now what you're seeing is Flips is kind of moving to becoming a proper, you know, cent- center attacking midfielder. And then you're actually seeing Maulido who's coming for- on loan from Hertha Berlin. Hertha Berlin. Yes. Yep. And he's probably someone who can be used as an outlet as well. So it'll be interesting to see. It's only just sort of happening now. But going forwards, if you kind of see them becoming more outlets or at least options, rather than just Balogun getting on the end of everything. This boldness in, in their approach, I think, also helps them try to win the ball back high up the pitch as, so, as, as early as possible. And I think that, again, is accentuated in, in sort of the stylistic numbers that I've been sort of looking at on, on Opta's Stats Hub, which is that they've had the third most high turnovers in the league. And only teams above them are... Olympic Lyon, your club, of course, and Paris Saint-Germain, and I think that's a great compliment on on their style, isn't it? Yeah, you can you can thank um, Accents Kakare for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think yeah, like you said, you know, I think it's it's another byproduct of that very aggressive uh, style in possession and out of possession. So again, this is just a team evolving. You're seeing a lot of parts coming up, and we will see how how that team shapes up going forward under Will Still. And we'll, we'll, the best is yet to come, I think. So I think now that's in-possession stuff done, Alex. And I know you're really eager for yes. this next bit. <laughs> Let me even introduce it. So I came up with a great idea, I think. Okay, okay. A nice I'll let you take to, over. <laughs> a nice way, I think, that we're going to go through and talk about the players. We already have spoken a lot about the players individually, but, um, but you know, to kind of profile them is I decided... Because also people who know me well know that I love arbitrarily ranking anything. So I've decided to ask Minad for his five most important players that he he thinks are most important to the team. And I will offer the same. And we'll see if they match up and we'll yeah, just let conversation go from there. So I'll let you start, Ninad. Who is your... And also I made him write this down so he can't copy me halfway through. Um, but let me also open my As my if list. I would copy from you. Yeah. <laughs> I have my own opinions, by the way. <laughs> All right. Well, then give me your number five. Okay. So my fifth most important player for Rans is Jens Kajust. Ah, okay. Okay. Interesting. Who is mine yours? Is, mine is Agbadu, actually. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Why? <laughs> um, Honestly, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Agbadu. Um, I think he's one of those players. He does play as sort of more of a sweeper role. He, he kind of, you know, the last guy to make sure that he has those challenges. I think he's really good at judging when to engage in duels. He actually had Mbappe's number in the match. They, they went up and he was also up against Neymar at times. He's really good at knowing when to judge. Um, I think he's also very good in the air. I think he has a good pass on him. Does, maybe doesn't have the most um, disguise on it. But he's really accurate. He can break lines, especially with those longer Hollywood balls. And ultimately, yeah, I just think he's he's very good in possession and also just protecting the back line. And I really do like that mix of him alongside Abdul Hamid, who I actually thought would be your number five, to be honest, because you were going on about him when we were watching together. But yeah, why do you have Kajust? So the reason I have Kajust on there is, is quite simple. I think he is quite central to how they operate between the lines. And I think he's his ability on the ball is on a level above what Munetsi and Dumbia have. So I think in that sense, him being on the pitch really elevates their game and improves them. Where you will see that they struggle less against... They do still struggle, but they struggle less against low blocks when Kayust is on the pitch. So that's something I've quite... Uh, I've noticed when he's on there. And I think, yeah, he's just... He's, he's a really clever technician on the ball. He can sometimes dribble out of pressure... And just, he's very, his, his body type is is quite, you know, he's a tall player. Yeah. But he is able to dribble out of pressure quite, you know, in a, very, in a very pleasing way. 
and very tight control. I mean, I'm a big Kojus fan, to be honest, so I I do 100% get that. It's also very interesting how he's used, like, he plays pretty much as the 10 at times. He's not naturally a 10. He didn't come from Michelin as a 10. He can play that sort of secondary sixth role, that proper eight role. Maybe not the eight role as much as the other players in terms of, you know, ball winning and going over and going over but he does really control the play when he when he's there and i think i would say he's got the best close control touch and passing combination of of all of them but yes let's move on to who is your number four or maybe i should offer first so that it's it's more equal i went okay for yeah, yeah i'll let you i'll let you i'll <laughs> let you take number four you go i went for alexis flips ah right okay wow interesting okay i and, went for abdul hamid here Okay, um, I was waiting for him. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think I mean Abdul Hamid is is just he's a delight to watch on the ball. I think he it's just it's really really uh, exceptional to see how aggressive he is in tightly marking his players but also being brave in possession and not being afraid to push forward when necessary. And then you will see often that he will almost carry the ball by himself from the defensive third into the opposition attacking third. Which is wild if you think about it that he's 35 years old and doing that. It's, it's crazy. So <laughs> yeah, I love Abdul Hamid. Uh, I'm always going to be a fan of him. But yeah, why do you think Flips is the fourth most important player? Is, is Flips on your list, by the way? I won't spoil that just yet. You tell me first. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, just because if he's on your list, then we can get into it. But no, I think Flips is just... I, I really rate players like him. I just really like players like him. He's got that Terrier-esque sort of vibe out of possession really harries but he's also really intelligent knows when to sort of jump to press knows when to hold his line i think that's really important part of how they play but then in possession he is really really underrated i think he doesn't really get forward and get into goal threatening situations himself but he's probably got the best final ball at the club um he's also got crazy good ball striking with the outside of his foot um and yeah he can just you know you know you put him in situations he can play a good ball so i think he really suits the Wilson style both in and out of possession or the Wilson style at Rance because we, as we spoke about earlier, we don't actually know the Wilson style yet, but I think he's probably, I would say the best representative of it both in and out of possession. No, I think I broadly agree with that. I think um, I see him more as the playmaker out of the two wide forwards and I think For he's sure, quite, yeah. quite, good at, quite good at finding targets inside the box. Yeah. So. I've just looked at the numbers now. And if you look at him out of possession in terms of his like pressing, I mean, in terms of his tackles, interceptions, blocks, he's it's all 99th percentile um, clearances in the 95th percentile. Um, and then if you look at his XAG, he's getting 0.36 per game or per 90, sorry, which is in the 96th percentile. Pretty good for a player. I don't think many see as a standout name in the side. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it's it's interesting that you mentioned him because he again, like you know, just you mentioned the, his XAG numbers from from FPRF. I'm looking at his numbers on Opta here on Opta Analyst. Him and Junior Ito are both in the in the top ten for expected assists from open play. And again, like you know, two players. I think top just ten sort in the of league. Accentuates in top ten in the league. Yes, exactly. Perfect. So I mean, there you go. I think that just sort of accentuates how good and how important they are to to Rance's chance creation. I think that naturally leads to my number three. So I'll go first again, which was Junior Ito. This was really tough between number two and three. Um, but Ito, Ito's third for me. Uh, I think he's he's just fantastic. Like you said, he's more of the the goal threat sort of player. Um, I think he's electric when he's on the ball. He can carry pass, but also he's one of those players that he's a proper needle player. You can play and he'll get in behind. He's also got really good delivery himself. Um, and one of the things that impresses me most is his understanding of what to do. Just one, two touch, you know, just in around the box. And I think he's a reason that they are so threatening and being able to get off shots so often. And your number well, three? Well, lucky for you, Alex, you stole the words right out of my mouth. Because <laughs> my number three is also Junior Ito. Okay. So, yeah, there you go, listeners. We agree on something. Something that Alex and I agree on, finally. <laughs> I, I think we'll that. agree from now on then. So I'll I'll let you say our number two then. Okay, I mean this this my I don't know if if we'll agree on this, but uh, my number two is following Balogun. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, okay. yeah. Who is my your number, number two? My number one is Balogun. So let's speak about him first. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I I think Balogun is ultimately, and then I we we may as well reveal my number two was Matsuyama, and I 
take it your number one is Matsushima. My okay. number one is Matsushima. <laughs> <laughs> okay, interesting. I thought I was going to have him higher than you were, but okay. Now I feel like I've had my guy stolen from me, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> okay, cool. So why do you, let's actually speak. Why do you think Matsushima is more important than Balogun to the team? Yeah, I just think, uh, you know, we've already sort of mentioned on his roles in and out of possession and how he is able to be the first man receiving and how he's able to dictate play and help the team progress the ball between the lines and then also be important in those man-marking duties, being aggressive when necessary, holding back when when necessary, very intelligent operator in the middle of the park and just very crucial. I think the team looks worse without him. So I think all in all, that's that's why I sort of rank Matsiwa higher. Not to say that Balogun obviously is not important. I think he's he's just up there. Both of them are quite neck to neck. But I just uh, yeah, my preference is is Matsiwa because yeah, I enjoy I enjoy watching him quite a bit. See, you're betraying. You're, you're more of a hipster than I am. But I do agree. <laughs> I think Matsiwa is honestly great on the ball as well. I have some concerns. I want to see him because we did never saw him in a situation where he's under a lot of pressure or is targeted mm. himself. But Depending on how good he, you know, can handle those situations, I think he's a Premier League player for sure. Uh, he's really good. He can pass those, you know, break those lines really nicely along the ground. Um, I think he's incredibly intelligent defensively. Um, yeah, he's really good with his disguise passes. And I think the other thing that maybe I could be convinced to saying he's the most important player in the team is that there isn't really a replacement there for him. You can have Dumbia and Loppy, Umanetsi and Kajus. You know what I mean? You can even bring in flips instead of needing both of them you know to play like the 10 role but you don't really have someone who can replace um what Matisiwa brings to the side like Munetsi has that defensive ability but he's a bit more aggressive front-footed and he doesn't have that technical excellence because you doesn't have that defensive um reading of the game so much yeah and I think in that sense he complements all of those profiles really nicely uh, and that's why I think Matsi was uh, the f- you know, first for me on my list. But we've already touched a little bit, uh, I think quite a bit, on, on Balagun's strengths to the team, Alex. I think both both of us agree that his movement in behind and on the shoulder is quite quite crucial to how France attack. 100%. And I think a, part, a big part of the reason why I would probably say he's the most important beyond, you know, having scored, what, over 50% of their goals this season. It's also that he's able to get into these positions and take shots from these positions yeah. as well as that, right? So it's not, you know, always just arriving into these high XG chances. It's his ability to kind of, you know, get onto the edge of the box. A ball's been played through because of how quickly they play. It'll get somewhere and then he can take a touch, get a shot off, volley it, swivel and shoot. I think it is an important part of what they can do. And I also think he's going to be an important part of what they do going forwards with him maybe dropping a little bit more. We'll see. I think that is something that at least I saw a lot from him at youth level. And I think maybe has is a little bit hidden from what people see from him now at Rem at Rance because of you know how he has been used getting in behind. And ultimately yeah, scoring scoring is the most important part of the game. So that's why I had him number one. But I won't be, I won't begrudge someone having him at number two for sure. <laughs> I appreciate that, Alex. I appreciate that. I think it's interesting what you mentioned about his his ability to take shots and being central to Rance's attack because uh, according to the underlying data, I think this is the second most uh, underperforming team as per non-penalty XG. So I think there mm-hmm. is a lot more to come still in terms of the finishing ability. And I think they will get better at that going forward. Now, Alex, we've touched on our five most important players. Agreed on some, had differences of opinion on others. <laughs> Not necessarily uh, too much of a hostile uh, discussion, I think. But we'll touch on one final player who I, who I think is the, the wonder kid of the side. Yes, so we're going to have a a little section where we do the Wonder Kids to watch because it is legal at the end of the day and everyone wants wants to know the next player coming through. I wrote only one name on the doc, but I actually do have two because I can't really separate them. So sorry, Tinnan, I didn't put it in there because he was going to tell me to take it out. But I think Komari Dumbia, who is 19, actually turning 20 when they play on Saturday. So if you're listening then, remember to wish him or whatever. He is kind of that 8-10 sort of style. I think he is a bit of a needle style. I'm not sure. And then you kind of suggested he wasn't that good in possession in high areas. I actually think he is. He picks up really nice positions to receive. He's really good on the turn. He's agile. I will say maybe his touch can be a little bit more erratic than someone like Kajus. So I agree from that extent. Um, But also he's got a good eye. He can play a good ball through. 
I'm not exactly sure what his level is yet in terms of his ceiling, but I think he's definitely very comfortable at the at the level he's playing at right now. And the worst thing about him is honestly that he's an attacking midfielder with number three on his back. Um, and then the other guy is Dion Lopi. I see him replacing Manetsi eventually. He's better on the ball than Manetsi is. Not as good defensively. I think Manetsi is still very important in that aspect. Um, Lopi himself is 21, Manetsi is 26. So there's a way to go. But he's got he's got a good ball on him. He can play good balls through. He's also very mobile, works hard, um, is a goal threat. Um, and as a good ball winner in his own right, he's quite he's quite a rounded player. I think he's a little bit less agile, um, but he is very good at reading defensive situations. Um, a little bit less agile than Dumbi, I should say, rather than not agile outright. But yeah, those are those are the two that we that we had. Well, it's a good thing, Alex, that we both agree on those two players. I I, I do agree, Dion Lopi and and <laughs> Kamari Dumbia, definitely the future of France for now. And with that, listeners, well, not for France. I think. Oh, did you say France or France? My bad, my bad. Let me know. France uh, and France. There you no, go. No, well, Mali, Malian and Senegalese. So maybe not France. But... Well, maybe not France. <laughs> okay. Well, that doesn't exactly work. But you know what, listeners? I think we're done talking for now. So we'll end it on that note. Next next episode will be on Olympique de Marseille. And we'll hopefully have a guest on for that episode for you. So stay tuned for that. And if you've stayed until the end on this episode, thank you so much for listening. Alex, any final words for our listeners? Um, no. <laughs> Have Great. <a> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Well, that was Will Still and Stad Durance. Have a great weekend, listeners, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.